Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. I'm Eric McCroskey, and today I'm very excited to have with me Nick Marks. He's a statistician with a soul. He's got 25 years working with organizations to improve happiness, quality, uh, quality of life, uh, and uh, organizations in general. Uh, a phenomenal speaker who's also uh, launched a tool called Friday Pulse. Uh, we'll get into that very soon. But Nick, welcome to the show, and I'd love to hear from you a little bit about uh, your passion, how you got into all of this, and how you became a statistician with a with a soul, as a client once called you. <laughs> yes, um, it's one of my favorite client quotes. So, um, and I, I think in some ways, what it captures is I've got this slightly odd mix. And yes, I am a statistician, but my 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 mother was a family therapist, and I trained as a therapist when I was young. So mm-hmm. I sort of had these soft people skills as well, and and it, it probably becomes inevitable that I become the guy that starts measuring people's experience of life their happiness their well-being um it took a long time to evolve into that you know i I did a lot of work on sustainability quality of life health statistics first and then slowly moved into that area and i used to work in think tanks so i used to advise the uh the tony blair government and then the david cameron government on on how to measure well-being and led a lot of work there in a very exciting time in the 2000s where the british government started to take this very seriously and then about seven, eight years ago, I started to think about businesses and moved into that area. And so I now have a business called Friday Pulse, which measures and improves employee experience. And that's what I do now. That's a phenomenal background. So uh, one of the themes that's incredibly important when you're trying to improve uh, safety outcomes uh, is that, or or even well-being and, and all of those components is this element of psychological safety within the business. Can you share a little bit about uh, your thinking, your research, and what you've seen around the importance of psychological safety and maybe some ideas on how to drive it forward within businesses? Yeah, I mean, it's a phrase, I think, coined by Amy Edmondson and certainly popularized by Google. And it's it's really trust. It's it's the it's the you know, and trust is really about consistency of behaviour. And you know, in a team, when you know, if you if you're going to experiment, you're going to be innovative, you're going to collaborate, then you need to have the freedom to express yourself and the the security that you will know that you won't be that 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 you, the the spirit of your motivation for doing that will be recognised, even if if the outcome doesn't coach sure. exactly where we are so it becomes more about process and about how we do that and um and i i think that psychological safety and of course you know if you're in certain parts of the world physical safety i mean there's still all parts of the of the developing world where physical mm-hmm. safety at workplace is not guaranteed you know so right. um but but you know we we've actually luckily got legislation in north america and, and europe where those things are covered but um, but it becomes really important to people's experience because, you know, just like if you've got a parent who's very unreliable, inconsistent, that's actually the worst type of parenting. Um, and it's the same. It's the same. Same with a boss. I mean, you know, it, it's if you don't really know if if, if the, the boss's mood is always going to change or this or you suddenly get 
an earful for something which you weren't expecting to, or you, even when you get praised for something we weren't expecting to, that inconsistency is very difficult to deal with. So it's about consistency, mm. it's about reliability, it's about support, and um, and and it, there's lots of evidence that you know when that when people are in those environments, that not only the team's more innovative, but people enjoy working them more. And, and they go hand in hand. I mean, I wouldn't say it's the only cause of people's positive experience, but it's a very significant one. Interesting. Uh, so, so the other element is uh, that we've talked about when we had prior conversations together is that this element that feelings are data. Can you can you share a little bit about kind of that element and and is it real? Is it is it tangible? I, I know a lot of of leaders I've talked to over the years, particularly operational leaders doubt the reliability of that data they don't even necessarily seeing it as real tangible data so share share some thoughts and insights on that so the expression feelings of data for, for me comes from both of those sources i mean it's in some ways a um a sort of mixture between that statistics and and happiness and and mm-hmm. I, I it's actually the it's actually the draft title for a TEDx talk, talk I was going to do last year, which obviously got cancelled um, because of COVID. <laughs> but, um, but you know, uh, uh, my idea really is that is that our our feelings. Um, well, f- firstly, just from a purely neuroscience perspective, or, or mm. psychology perspective, or even evolutionary perspective, feelings come before cognition. So, uh, beings, animals, organisms were, in a sense. Uh, sentient before they were cognitive um and 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 it's, uh, we needed to feel whether we're in the right environment so in a sense our feelings give us information about whether we're a good fit in our environment at a very very uh basic biological level so you know we you know we can feel creeped out by something without really knowing what it is the sensation is there before we've got the awareness about precisely what it is. So we can feel, you know, we can feel secure in an environment without really knowing exactly why. And that's because that's how feelings work in the organism. And in that sense, can we turn them Mm. into data? What is data? So data can be uh, quantitative, it can be qualitative, you know, it can be different types. But um, um, I I statistically try and capture that data with what is just basically a very simple good-bad signal. So I'll ask people things like, you know, how have you felt at work this week? Were you very unhappy to very happy? And you get get that into a one to five scale or whatever. And you, and people can answer that question. They can think, oh, this week, yeah, it was a good week. You know, or this week it was a bad week. And they give you an answer on that. And that's what I mean by turning feelings into data in this sense, in that you can put a number to it. And when you do mm-hmm. that, you get very interesting time trend data that by asking about a time specific period, you see the ups and downs. And the reality is, is that we're not happy all the time. That right. actually w- would be kind of dysfunctional because you would be overriding that <laughs> things sometimes can be bad. The environment changes you know it would have been pretty weird to have been exceptionally happy in march this year yeah. <laughs> really <laughs> and, yeah <laughs> and you know and, and this year has been really hard hasn't it you know and, and it's like so it's it's perfectly fine to have a goal that you, you want to be happy but but to be to also accept the fact you're not going to be happy all the time those are not conflicting things uh, to, to want to do so so you touched on the march and feelings and you've done some some analysis uh, of data through the last several months, how has it revealed? Or what was the main takeaway that you saw across multiple different organizations? Yeah, so we basically we ask all across our client base, um, you know, that question, and we we basically provide data for uh, for team and senior leaders on people's experience of work, and we do it in real time. Well, real time, we do it weekly um, in in saying, you know, this is how people's weeks have gone. So we've been we've got fifty two. Well, we haven't quite got fifty two measures this year. We've got like forty eight or. 50 whatever it is we're up to now um and so we can see the whole trend through the year and 
what we had was a perfectly normal year in in january february march i mean january mm-hmm. doesn't tend to be the happiest month anyway you, you just come out of the christmas period so it's, it's always a little bit suppressed after that people are happy up to christmas they come back oh well you know the weather's pretty bad in it's certainly in Europe, um, certainly in England, um, uh, in January, February, you know, it's the worst time of the year. So, you know, people aren't most happy, but then, you know, starting to pick up in March and then boom, you know, the week beginning, I think something like the 12th of March, you know, we suddenly had, I mean, I, I was working in London in the beginning of the week, the underground was normal, tube was at normal. And by Thursday, you know, half of the traffic had gone. It was extraordinary just to see it drift away from us. And, um, and then, you know, the next week we had our lockdown and, it was very, very scary in March, and it hit our data. Yeah. All our clients, it plummeted, and then we we saw a slow climb back up again. But in those first weeks, you know, there was a lot of pressure on HR departments, everybody to scramble home. You know, have you got the right equipment? Can we support you? Uh, how, how do you do that? Everyone is, you know, worrying about their mother, there's, you know, their their kids, whatever they're worried about. Suddenly, kids were home from school, so there's a huge pressure, and all of that comes out in our data. And then we basically see a slight return back to where we were over a period of several months, mm-hmm. but then it's never got back to quite where it was. We're still we're still five ten points down. We we present our data not hundred scale. Pre-COVID, the average was 70. It's now 65. So we've seen a drop over that time, uh, a significant drop actually, but uh, but you know not as bad as it was in the week. You know, the week that COVID struck, where it's more down like 50. So you know, it's was, it was a big impact, and and you need data every week to see that. So you can you know sure. basically imagine it as a graph, and and of course we see that in lots of our clients. They have setbacks. Teams have setbacks. Individuals have setbacks. But to have a global setback like that, I mean, we'll never see it again, I don't think. It was just a huge, huge impact. Yeah. Let's hope we don't see it ever again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's, so, let's hope. <laughs> so I'm a CEO. I get this this regular data point, um, this pulse on my business. What can I do with that information? Because some might argue it's too much information. How can I use that to shift my decisions, my actions, and even if you have some examples from from the last few months, how it's helped organizations and businesses would be phenomenal. Yeah, so the way that we help people use the data is that we feed it back to the right level of the organization. I do think that that the best place to act is at the team level. I'm, I'm sure it's the same for safety and everything is that it's the people you work most closely with. You know, can you rely on the people around you? Can you work sure. together? Can you, can you have the same goals and uh, and collaborate? And and what we basically do is, is feedback data, a mixture of quality, qualitative and quantitative data. So we feedback, you know, have you, how, what's your score last week? But we also ask people, you know, what's gone well for you last week, what hasn't, and basically allow mm-hmm. people to build on what's gone well and, and, and deal with what hasn't. And it's getting into that, weekly flow of people's work by doing a little and often that you make the most changes you know that you make the most changes. you basically get them talking about their experience and then that validates that it's it's actually useful to 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 to, to listen to people's experience and, and basically everybody in an organization is kind of like a sensor they're yeah. sensing everything around them it's like but that data was never collected before you know it's mm. there there's knowledge like whenever there's a sort of big corporate failure when they do the investigation afterwards, mm-hmm. people within the organization knew. Something just, was up. They hadn't, the, the data, it's very rare that something hits with that totally blind size. There's people that know. And in a sense, you need to gather that data in a way and, and encourage people to share not only their successes, but their concerns because mm. it's valid to have concerns about what's going on, you know. And, and if you collect that quickly, you can act on it quickly. And I think that's what most organizations try and do in some way with, is, um, 
be responsive to what's going on and we're, we're a product that helps platform that helps with that and we, we've seen lots of different examples you know I mean, the, the issue with COVID and, and working from home was it was so variable, the experience for people. Sure. You know, people like me whose children are left home and I, I, I live with my wife who I not only love, I like, you know, I enjoy <laughs> spending time with her. So it wasn't a difficult to spend time with Zoe. Yeah. Um, right. Where for some people, you know, my, my sister's got divorced in COVID. I mean, that would be a horrible years, experience. Yeah. Well, three years too late in my opinion, but that's a different matter. But, uh, <laughs> but, but you know, um, but you know, and, and and other people was was stuck at home with um, young children, which was very right. very difficult. Three or four of my team had got children under the age of five, and they, it was driving them up the wall. It wasn't about their work; they just was a very difficult. So there was different things that we needed to do, and of course, when you you've got a bit of data on that, you can start thinking about how how you how you do that. And then you've got teams that are struggling. So, you know, I mean, my organisation has not been adversely affected by COVID. I mean, we've had to change, we've had to pivot. I had to lay off some people that were doing events work, um, but sure. we've, we've actually recruited into other areas. So we've had to do some changes, um, and but um, it hasn't been a disaster. But if you're in hospitality, you know, it was right the way yeah. across the board. It was, you know, it's just appalling. And and if you're in businesses, depend on that, or or you know, lots. Of, so it's, it's how do you respond differently? And of large organisations have got sections that probably done well and sections that haven't. And it's how do you 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 differentiate your policies towards those people? And we've you know mm-hmm. we've got clients that have done you know brilliant work in, in this area, really really helping people um, you know cope with it and i mean even in my organization we've gone to a four-day week for example because i sure. think boundaries between work and life have got so collapsed and 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 burnout is such a big issue with with people working from home and remotely yeah. they haven't got that human contact um but they they also you know just works always there it's sort of you know we're all, we're all working from home i'm working from home you you probably yeah. are you work from home, <laughs> you know and it's like how do, when does work stop when does life start it becomes harder so I've actually yeah. just made a bargain with my employees that let's work half or four days and have three days off and do other things. And, and, you know, that's, 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 a, that's quite a radical policy. We, we can mm-hmm. do that in, in my field. It doesn't always work with some things because it's 24 seven, sure. but it's how, how you, how you look after your employees, I think is changing very dramatically. Absolutely. And I, I think what you shared is consistent with all the organization I've seen for some people, it's been phenomenal. Um, so for, for me, the secret blessing is I normally spend, almost all my time on a plane and now I get to spend time at home enjoying kind of uh, experiences with my wife like you said it's a very different experience but I see others who are constantly trying to balance homeschooling and all of those components all at the same time and trying to do work and they don't necessarily have a partner that can help and it's a very very different experience Uh, but it, it gives you insights on how I can lead how I can drive change how I can uh drive impact on, on the themes that are relevant for my workforce at this point in time. One, one of the themes I, I, I'd like to explore is the impact that you can get from a mental health standpoint, because um, we know the link between mental health, mental well-being, and safety, uh, overall safety culture, incredibly linked. Unfortunately, not all organizations are talking about that link. Um, more and more starting to drive visibility, awareness to the importance of, of mental health. But what's your thoughts around mental health well-being um, and what you're able to gather from from a pulse within your business so i mean mental health is um you know still a lot of stigma around it yeah and uh and i, I there's a lot of work going on about destigmatizing it but mm-hmm. um this is just a story from just two years ago i know um i, was, I spoke at a 
conference on it, a group called Minds at Work here in the UK who mm-hmm. do a lot of work on mental health at, at work. And um, and a, a fireman went off work for um, uh, being injured in a fire and, and he was off work for six months and a hundred colleagues came to see him. He then had stress two years later uh, and one colleague came to see him. And, and we're still terrified mm. of that sort of, you know, mental health breakdown, breakthrough, whatever it is. And, and, um, and it's, and it's, and it's, that is starting to change. I mean, you know, we see it, we see it being led probably sometimes, um, yes, at work, but we also see it being led in the sort of celebrity world. Like there's a band called sure. Little Mix. Little Mix. I don't know if you've got teens who are interested into them, but one of them has, has decided to retire from the band for mental health reasons. And it's not getting mm-hmm. poo-pooed. It's getting really supported out there. It's basically saying, sure. you know, yes, you need to look after yourself. That's what you need to do. And I, so I think we're talking more and more about it and it's becoming more and more accepted and it's more accepted in the work. But it, the issue is it feels, you know, if, it, a lot of people are frightened of it because they're frightened of their own mental health. They're frightened if we stopped going forward, you know, would we fall over? You know, this, you, I, I think Einstein once said, you know, life is like riding a bicycle if you stop pedaling you fall over and there's a sort of feeling that if we don't continue we'll you'll suddenly collapse i i think that's really unwise because i think when the end happens is burnout happens and you know burnout tends to be from people who who engaged in their work but they they, they go the extra mile and that isn't the same as mental health it's a it's a different issue but it, it mm-hmm. it's, it's it's a problem but mental health what do we, I, I think it's about working with people there's a lot of neuro, neuro neurologically atypical people particularly in tech businesses and whatever like that you know probably 20 percent of the population um are what we could call neurologically atypical you know and that's a lot of the workforce and so it's about and they're often brilliant all sorts of things they just need some different boundaries and i don't really understand why i, I think that this straight straight jacket of like you work from nine to five or ten to six or you work this sure. overtime we do that is going i mean i i used uh, he doesn't actually work for us anymore but i had an employee who really did struggle every every few months with something but you know i just used to say to him well, if you need two days off you have two days off and i knew he'd, he'd make it up because he, he didn't want, he wasn't irresponsible he just was just you know couldn't get out of bed that day and hmm. and and you, and you don't help it by sort of saying oh pull yourself together that's not how it that works. Help. Right. No. <laughs> you, you, you do it by being kind and compassionate to them and and you know and, and talking yes about the business needs but you know but also about what their needs are and it's a sort of dance between those two it's you know it's like employing i mean i'm going to say particularly women but it's parents with young children really but you know I, i've had a lot of uh, uh people have maternity leave or have children you know during um, you know during my time working people if you if you're kind to them they they come back and they give you everything so it's 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 being enlightened in your leadership and doing what and mental health is the same really in that you know it's accepting that people's anxiety is there or, or if it's panic attacks mm-hmm. or it's uh depression this is something that they're living with it's not something uh and it, it does get triggered by environments in that you know if you put too much stress on them or put them in a team that you know really doesn't help then you know then it's going to get exaggerated but um but you can work with it i mean you know like one of the supermarkets and chains in the uk they work with a lot of people with uh depression and you know mm-hmm. what you don't want to do is shove them at the back of a dark warehouse because that's basically going to <laughs> Uh, make their 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 problems worse if you put them in a bright light place where they can interact with other people which might be you know in the car parks doing trolleys mm. it might be uh, helping pack bags it might be uh doing shelves where they're in the light they're much better if you put them in a dark warehouse they're not going to do well and it's understanding what the triggers are for them listening sure. to them and, and and working with it and um 
and people tend to thrive when they feel cared about so um and i i'm you know that's definitely the side of the fence i'm on i know that other people some people have other views on that but i i, I think that we can work with people from mm -hmm. all walks of life and if you if you respect them they respect you back 95% of the time and the 5% of the time they don't well then deal with it you know let's assume the best Correct. and then occasionally you deal with the things that don't work yeah yeah and, and I think with the pulse that you're you're advocating is you're getting a sense for themes within the business that are emerging um, so you can better adapt and be more enlightened in terms of your comments uh, before uh, last question I want to throw we talked about feelings or data how do you deal with a skeptic because uh, I've come across engineers that will say it's not real data, perception data, input of that nature is not real data. How, how do you overcome that challenge? Well, I mean, one, engineers are, are brilliant to talk to about this because they understand feedback. And, and right. if you start explaining it to them in analogies, they can hear about, you know, basically a thermometer, a, a governor in a steam engine, whatever, is a feedback loop, which is basically, Correct. I always talk about governors in a, in a steam engine, you know, where more steam goes through, <laughs> and it starts closing the steam in it's basically a feedback loop emotions are the same in lots of ways um some of them are positive reinforcing some of them are negative dampening but they're basically helping us act efficiently in the world and so um it is data it's not the same data so you know when you when you've got so-called objective data mm -hmm. you know you're, you're counting physical things when you have subjective data you're using scales you're using things which basically people are giving you a sense of the difference. So when I ask people, how have you felt at work this week? I give them five response codes, very unhappy, unhappy, okay, happy, very happy. People can answer that. We don't know precisely that if Correct. the move from three to the four is the same as from one to two. In fact, I can tell you it isn't. I know the data quite well, <laughs> but, it is, but it is ordered. The data is ordered. And so you, you can work with that data. It's just you have to work with it differently. You also have to understand you're not maximizing. People often think that you'll, you know, take any variable, you're gonna maximize it you're optimizing with subjective data. You know, actually you don't want people to be, not you don't want them to be, it's unrealistic for people to be very happy all of the time. You actually Correct. kind of want to know when they're feeling very happy and you want to know when they're only feeling happy and you want to know when they're feeling okay. And and, and that is data is feedback and it's learning. Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole way that organizations uh, and us as individuals is, is that we learn, we learn. So we need to have feedback that helps us learn. And I use, that's how I use the data. And so, you know, we create effectively what we call a happiness KPI for a business, which is this data on, on weekly team uh, happiness. And it's a people metric for people, for organizations. And mm -hmm. organizations don't have good people metrics. They tend to have what we call lagging indicators, like, you know, right. how many people didn't turn up for work? How many people left us? Sure. Uh, or, or we do an engagement survey once a year, which gives you a snapshot. Experience is really fluid. It's not a snapshot. It's not even a series of snapshots. You know, you could have done a snapshot in February this year, and then three months later, and three months is a really frequent pulse survey. You know, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're set up March, April, you're May. Well, you just basically see almost a flat line. You just missed the whole dramatic, interesting part, right. you know. And, <laughs> and so, you know, by by taking data more frequently, you get that fluidity. And, and basically, our experience is fluid. Uh, it's always mm. ebbing and flowing. It's, you know, you can you can take people's, I mean, I measure weekly because that's convenient. It's good for work. But, you know, sure. you could measure people's experience through a morning 
and you'd have it going mm. up and down. You could measure it through an hour and it'd be going up and down. You could right. measure it through a year, a lifetime. You know, there's different wavelengths if you want to do of it. So it absolutely is data. It's data that's correlated and predicts things. We know that people who have more good weeks than bad weeks, they're happier at work are more productive we know they stay longer we know they're more creative and innovative we know that they have a you know better safety record want to go back to that because if you care about the 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 machinery you're you're working with or you care about your colleagues you know you you take care and you and you avoid you you deal with risks and you avoid you avoid uh things getting out of control which you know most accidents are a series of errors aren't they um and you know if you've got that communication and collaboration well you, you you it all it all works out better so you know, it's 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 not only is it data, it's useful data, and it predicts future good outcomes. So, you know, I you agree. should take it seriously. Is my opinion. <laughs> I think that's phenomenal. Uh, last parting point: you, you launched recently a tool called Friday One. Can you share a little bit about what it is and and how it can help businesses? Yeah. So Friday One is um, so Friday Pulse is the, the business we have, which right. creates platforms for teams and organisations. So we wanted to do something that was for individuals. People always ask us, how oh, can't we do something on our own? And so we've created Friday One, which is basically a, uh, a sort of uh, uh, an individual. These are the key drivers to happiness at work. How are you doing on it? So if you've ever taken one of those tests like 16 personalities or sure. Myers-Briggs, you do them and they give you a report back. Well, it's the same thing, but it's context. So one of the, my critiques of those sort of personality tests is that they're context free. And actually, we change personalities, we change who we are, mm. we change how we feel in different contexts. So our context is very specifically your work, and it's your work now when you fill it out. Um, and basically, we ask you how you're doing on, on the five big drivers, which we call, which are, which are about relationships, about fairness in the system, about autonomy, about learning, and about purpose. So we, we call those connect, be fair, empower, challenge, inspire. So you ask three questions on each and some demographic questions. So we give you some benchmarks and you get a lovely report. And it's to help you reflect on on, on your work and, and, and how you're doing. And that does form part of our Friday Pulse when we do it for a whole organization. But this is just a free tool for individuals to do and have fun with. And, and can they track themselves in terms of time and how they're progressing? Or is it so, more a one-time snap? It is a one-time snack, which is why we call it Friday One. And, and the reason we haven't done that is all sorts of GDPR problems of storing people's data with right. a free tool. And you do get into, you know, sort of things. So we decided we'd do a snapshot. We may, we may do something tracking, but we, you have to get a little bit, you have to get a little bit fancier <laughs> with that stuff. And so at the moment, it's a snapshot, and and you could you can save the PDF and do it again three months later and look at sure. it. But it's we don't hold your data in any way. We didn't want to get into that really. Um, no. And you, you just go to FridayOne.com, and it you know take the test and it's just there and it's, yeah as i say it's just free and fun to use love it well thank you very much nick for taking the time for connecting sharing your thoughts there on feelings and and the impact on the business and and great insights in terms of how people can shift from from week to week from day to day from hour to hour based on the context the environment they're in thank you very much indeed Share this on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to the Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Fuel your future. Come back in two weeks for the next episode or listen to our sister show with the Ops Guru, Eric McCroskey.